Well, good morning, Orchard. Take out your Bibles this morning. Turn to Esther chapter 6 as we continue our series called All In, one of my favorite stories in all the Bible, the book of Esther. And today, chapter 6 is one of my favorite parts of this story that I've been really looking forward to. As you're finding your way there this morning, um, one of our values here at Orchard Church, we say it almost every week, is we want to be a church that acts its wage. How do we do that? By giving first saving second, and living on the rest. And I just want to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart because you lived out that value of giving first. Last Sunday, uh, we collected over and above our regular tithes and offerings over $12,000 for disaster relief. Can we just praise God for that this morning? Amen. Thank you guys so much for your incredible generosity. It's making a big difference in Houston and Florida and around the United States. So thank you. We say it all the time here at Orchard. We've been blessed to be a blessing. And so thank you for being a part of that last week. As we uh, continue our series this morning, let me ask you this by a show of hands. How many of you have ever been in a situation in your life where you said, man, it feels like things are just falling apart right now? You ever been there? Maybe some of you are like, yeah, I'm there right now. And you've maybe wondered, how is this going to turn around? I need this to turn around. I don't know how it's going to turn around. Maybe it's a situation with your marriage or your finances or your health or or, or relationship. Well, that's exactly what's going on in Esther uh, chapter 6 as we're going to see today. In Esther uh, chapters 1 through 5, we've seen a lot of things take place. We're at the midpoint today. And if you haven't been here, let me kind of just catch you up uh, before we jump into chapter 6. You can also always go to our website, orchard.church, and you can watch or listen or do the podcast of these messages. But in chapter 1, we opened up uh, with King Xerxes king of the Persian Empire. He got upset with his that queen at the time, Queen Vashti. She didn't obey his orders, so he banished her off the scene. And then in chapter 2, he basically had a Bachelor of Persia contest, brought in all these beautiful young women, and the most unlikely of women was chosen. She was a, a Jewish girl. They didn't know this, but she was a Jewish orphan, and she was chosen as queen, and her name is... Esther, she's the star of our story. She becomes the queen. She had an adoptive father, an older cousin named Mordecai. Uh, One day he overheard a couple of the king's attendants that wanted to kill him and assassinate the king. He told this to Esther, uh, his adoptive daughter. She let the king know, thwarted that assassination plan. In chapter 3, Mordecai would not bow down to a man named Haman, who was basically the king's right-hand man, because Mordecai was a Jew, and, and Haman hated the Jewish people. And so Mordecai got very, um, you know, got in trouble for this, and Haman got very upset by this. And so he basically went to the king to make a decree to not only punish Mordecai, the Jew, but to punish all the Jews. And so he gets the king to sign this decree that in about a year, 15 million innocent Jewish people, uh, men, women, children, would be assassinated. They would be annihilated. Well, Mordecai finds this out. He goes to Esther and says, you need to talk to the king about this. And so Esther takes a step of faith. She goes all in to put her life and her neck on the line because the king had not invited her. He could have had her killed. She goes before the king. We saw this uh, last week and the king accepts her request and he's going to listen to her. So she invites the king and Haman who came up with this evil wicked plan uh, to a banquet. And the first banquet, she doesn't 
tell the king what her request is. She doesn't let it be known that she's Jewish. She kind of just butters up the king. You know, you, you wives know how to do this. You know, get the guy just the right time to ask your request. And so she says, you know, now that you're all happy, come next day to another banquet. Well, there's a lot that happens in chapter 6 today between that first banquet and the second banquet. And you remember on the way out of the banquet, Haman's feeling really good about himself. He thinks he's all that in a bag of chips because he got invited to this banquet with just the king and the queen, and it was an invitation uh, with a guest list of one, and it was him. But when he left the banquet, he saw Mordecai, the Jew outside the gate, who he hated and he wanted to kill, and Mordecai still would not honor him. He would not respect him. He wouldn't bow down to him. And so he said, I'm going to have this guy crucified. And he sets up a 75-foot pole to basically impale Mordecai on it, and that was his plan. That's where we left off last week. So at this point in the story from chapters 1 through 5, it appears on the surface that everything is falling apart. Everything. I mean, there's a decree to kill 15 million innocent people. Mordecai is about to be crucified. But chapter 6, we're calling this the turn. This is the turn in the story where God begins to turn everything around. If you play poker, Texas Hold'em, there's the first three cards are called the flop. The fourth card is called what? The turn card, that everything can change uh, based on that card. In, in movies, we would call this the twist. How many of you guys like movies with a twist? You know, you're going along, and then, and then there's a twist to the movie. Um, we, we were a big fan of Night Shyamalan, M. Night Shyamalan. He always has a twist in his movies. Um, and so, spoiler alert right now. If you've not seen these movies, you need to see them, but I'm about to spoil the movie. Uh, this was a movie we really liked, The Village. Remember that? And you're watching The Village, and then all of a sudden, there's this twist, and you find out these people are actually living in modern day in a compound with a fence around it, and it's a major twist in the story. Uh, another a favorite movie, a, a well-known movie from M. Night Shyamalan, is The Sixth Sense. How many of y'all saw that movie uh, with Bruce Willis? And you find out there's a twist that Bruce Willis is dead the whole time in the movie. I know I'm spoiling these movies if you haven't seen them. And this isn't an M. Night Shyamalan movie, but this was a major twist in a major movie and a movie series. And, and this is a major spoiler alert. If you don't know this, I'm really going to mess it up for you. But Darth Vader is actually the father of Luke. And another twist, evidently, Luke is falling in love with his sister and just doesn't know it yet. That's just another little twist we think that's going on there. But there, we love these twists in movies. Well, chapter 6 is the twist. It's the turn in this whole story. Esther and Mordecai did not know how God was going to turn everything around that seemed to be falling apart. But God did. And God was in control. You have this in your notes. Here's our key thought for the day, our, our application to take away. When things appear to be falling apart, they may be falling into place. When you know God, when you believe in God and you follow God and you allow him to work in your life, when things appear to be falling apart, they may be falling into place. Let me remind you that God's name is never mentioned one time in this story, but yet he can be seen everywhere. His hand, his work, we call that the providence of God, the invisible hand of God working behind the scenes. Do you all still believe in the providence of God that it works in our lives today? And that sometimes today when it seems like life is falling apart, it actually may be falling into place. Providence has been described this way. It's kind of like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects of the wind. You can see the trees blowing. You can see the flags blowing. You can feel it. That's the providence of God at work in our lives in the same way. It's the invisible hand of God. And let me encourage you with this thought today. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, let me encourage you with this. Don't question the providence of God. Expect it. 
as a believer in Jesus Christ. Don't question the providence of God if it's at work. Expect that it's at work. And those times in our lives when we wonder, how can God turn this around? And God seems to be absent. He seems to not be answering our prayers. He seems to not be paying attention. We sang about it this morning. All things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are the called according to his purpose. We have a God who is good. We sang about it. And he's never going to let us down. Do you believe that, church? Well, let me encourage you because that's our thought today as we see God turn everything around in this story. The providential, sovereign hand of God working behind the scenes. I hope you'll take some notes this morning as we jump into chapter 6. We're going to see the evidence of God's hand at three specific times. The first time, if you're taking notes, is a night of discovery. We see God's hand through a night of of discovery. So that first banquet has taken place. The king and Haman uh, were there. They leave. Um, Haman is working on uh, crucifying Mordecai. And the banquet is, the next banquet is the next day. But that night, something happens. It says in chapter 6, verse 1, that night the king had, help me out, had trouble sleeping. Now let me ask you this. How many of you like me have trouble sleeping at times? Okay. Raise your hand. A lot, lot of hands. You know, I just got to thinking about this. There's more people that have trouble sleeping today than ever. There's more sleeping pills on the market, medications over the counter than ever before. And there's a Starbucks every quarter mile anywhere you are. I just wonder if there's any connection there. Just things that make you go, hmm. But the king couldn't sleep that night. I mean, this describes my Saturday night. Every Saturday night, I can't sleep. I'm thinking about Sunday. I'm thinking about my message. God's waking me up. My wife has what I call the gift of sleep. How many of you are one of those people, you hit the pillow and you're gone. You're out. Raise your hand, okay? I I hate you guys. In the name of Jesus, I just do. I mean, if I want to be asleep at 10, I got to get in bed like 9. 9.15, 9.15, to just try, I mean, I go at like 70 miles an hour with gusts up to 100, and it just takes a lot for me to slow down. I'll be in mid-conversation. We'll get in bed, and, and my wife and I, and I'll be in mid-conversation. I'll ask her a question, and she stops answering. She stops talking, and she starts snoring really loud. La- no, I added that. I'm going to get in trouble. And I'm like, are you kidding me? How could you possibly be asleep this fast? And I just lay there, you know, staring at the ceiling, you know, sometimes for hours. But the king couldn't sleep. We don't know why he couldn't sleep. Maybe he's thinking about his kingdom. Maybe he's thinking about Esther's banquet, and he knows she's going to request something. But she says, I'm going I'm to tell you at the next banquet, which hasn't happened yet. He's probably thinking about that. Maybe he has acid reflux from the first banquet. I don't know. <laughs> Something's keeping him up. Here's what I believe. I believe behind it all was the providential sovereign hand of God who wouldn't let him sleep. And you're going to see that in this story. Now, the king, unlike us today, he couldn't run down, you know, to King Supers or Walgreens and get some Tylenol PM or Ambien. He, he had to do something else. So what did he do? It says he had trouble sleeping, so he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. I mean, he had, he had all these different choices. He could have had one of the concubines come and keep him company. He could have had the musicians come in and play him a lullaby song. He could have had uh, the guards play games with him, but he couldn't sleep. So he says, listen, go get one of the history books. Now, unless you really love history, that would do it for me. You know, that, that boring, read one of the history books, the history of my reign. Now, we think of a history book that he's going to go to a shelf and grab a book. They weren't books, they were scrolls. 
And there would have been hundreds of scrolls of the history of King Xerxes' reign. Now, to this point in the story, he's been ruling and reigning for 12 years. So the attendant has to go to hundreds of scrolls and pick one of them out. Well, he just happens to pick one of the scrolls about an account of a man that had saved his life five years before but was never rewarded for it. Sound familiar? And look at verse 2 what it says. In those records, he discovered an account of how, help me church, how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bigthan and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door of the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. And the king asked, what reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this? The king asked. The attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. The king's like, what? This guy saved my life? We didn't send him a fruit basket? An Amazon gift card? We didn't do anything for him? And this happened two years ago. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christ follower, and maybe you're just kind of exploring God and Jesus and the faith, man, we're thrilled that you're here and to help you on that, that journey. And that's a choice only you can make. But if you're not a Christ follower, people would look at this story and say, well, that was just a coincidence. I say coincidence is the non-Christian word for providence. Amen? If we're believers in Jesus Christ, this is not a coincidence. This is providence. This is a key situation because if Mordecai had been honored five years before, then the events that are about to unfold would not have taken place, where God is going to turn everything around in the story. And this, we can relate to this because you and I have all been at places in our lives where we wondered, God, where are you? God, why are you not listening? God, do you not care? Do you not love me? Are you too busy with someone else? You're not answering my prayers. Why don't you do something about this? If you're all-powerful and all-loving, you could. And we need to remember this truth. You have it in your notes. God's delays are not necessarily God's denials. Amen? How many of you have learned, like I have, God's timing is often different than mine? God works on a different calendar than my calendar. But it doesn't mean he's not working. And we see that in the story of Esther. We have to be patient, just like Mordecai. Mordecai had to wait five years for this to play out. But I'll say it again. When things appear to be falling apart, they may be falling right into place. God cares about the details of our life. Do you believe that, church? God cares about everything, every day, every moment, every hour, every situation. And when you're a Christ follower... He can work all things together for good. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. You know, this last week, uh, last Sunday was September 11th, the 16th anniversary of 9-11. Hard to believe that was 16 years ago. And every time they have an anniversary year, people come out with stories about that day. And, and I heard about several stories of people who worked in the Twin Towers, but for some reason, coincidentally or providentially, were... Um, unable to make it into work that day on time. And they're alive today to tell about it. One man said he was late in traffic. Another person said their alarm clock didn't go off. Another guy said he was caught in a traffic accident. And they were all frustrated in that moment until they looked back and realized God was protecting them. Another person said they missed their bust. One guy said he spilled coffee on his shirt and he had to go back home and change his shirt. One guy told this story, he said that he had bought new dress shoes and he had to walk several blocks in New York to work and he got a blister and it was so bad he couldn't stand it. So he got back on the bus and went home and changed into his tennis shoes and that's when the attacks took place. 
And in a time when it seemed like things were falling apart, things for those people were actually falling into place. You say, well, why, why did God allow that to happen in those people's lives but not other people's lives? I don't know. But I do believe in a providential sovereign God who's in control of all things. I don't know. God can someday answer that. And, and in this story, God has providentially set the stage for what's about to happen. And this is where it gets really, really good and really, really exciting. Because we go from a night of discovery to a morning of decision, if you're taking notes. A morning of, of decision. And the king's probably been up all night and he can't sleep. Now, Haman's been up all night too, but he's been working. He's been overseeing a project to set up a 70-foot uh, pole to have Mordecai, the Jew, crucified and killed on this stake. And now it's early in the next morning and Haman has to get permission from the king to be able to carry this out. So he's the first one in line to see the king the next morning after the, the, the night where the king could not rest and could not sleep. So watch what happens in verse 4 of Esther 6. The king says, who is that in the outer court? The king inquired. Now let's say this together. As it happened... Underline that in your Bibles. Highlight that in your Bibles. As it happened. How many of you ever said the phrase, and it just so happened? And it just so happened. Coincidence or providence? And it just so happened. As it happened, who? Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale who, church? Mordecai, the Jew, on the pole he had prepared. So the attendants replied to the king, Haman is in the, in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. So Haman came in and the king said, What should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? I want to reward someone. I want to honor someone. And Haman thought to himself, Whom would the king wish to honor more than me? This is where it gets really good. He's got to be thinking of me I'm his right-hand man. I get invited to the banquet. Nobody else got invited to the banquet with the king and queen. He's got to be talking about me because Haman loved himself some Haman. And he's like, he's got to be talking about me. So he says, here's my suggestion. So he replied, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes as well as a horse that who? The king himself has ridden. In other words, treat him like a king. King for the day. One with a royal emblem on its head. The emblem of the king. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. And let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes and led through the city square on the king's horse. Watch this. Have the official shout as they go. This is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. This is Haman's plan. This is Haman's idea. He thinks, I'm going to get to be king for the day. We're going to have a king for the day parade, and I'm going to be the king. Verse 10. <laughs> Excellent, the king said to Haman. Quick, take the robes and my horse and do just as you have said for Mordecai the Jew. Want to get away? <laughs> this is the last thing in the world that Haman expected. Do this for Mordecai the Jew, the guy you hate, the guy you want to kill. Now, the king didn't know this. The Mordecai the Jew sits at the gate of the palace. Leave out nothing you have suggested. 
This is awesome. <laughs> Who says the Bible is boring? Who says it's not fun? Who says God doesn't have a sense of humor? One minute, Haman, this evil, wicked man, is planning to crucify Mordecai. And the next minute, he's planning his king for a day parade. And he's the one that has to lead it. Do you think God might have something to do with this? Say yes. This is not coincidence. This is providence. And when things seem to be falling apart, they may actually be falling into place. And so we see God's hand through a night of discovery and a king that can't sleep. We see God's hand in a morning of decision where Haman comes up with this idea, but it's actually going to be for Mordecai. And God has a sense of humor. And I just imagine this scene 2,500 years ago. I don't know if this happened, but I can almost imagine that God is in heaven and he's gathered all the angels together and he's like, watch this. <laughs> this is going to be really good. This is going to be, you don't want to miss this. And then as they're watching, they're like, oh God, that is awesome. <laughs> you the man, God. You really are. This is great. Only God could have come up with this. And then we see God's hand, if you're taking notes, in a day of disgrace for Haman. He says, do everything just like you've suggested. Verse 11, so Haman took the robes and he put them on Mordecai, placed him on the king's own horse and led him through the city square, shouting. And Haman's happened to lead this and shout this. This is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. I mean, you can just hear him. This is humiliating. Afterward, Mordecai returned to the palace gate, but Haman hurried home. How, church? Dejected and completely humiliated. I'm sure he was. This was the last thing in the world he thought was going to happen. And when Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends what had happened, his wise advisors and his wife said, since Mordecai, watch this, this man who has humiliated you is of what? Jewish birth. You will never succeed in your plans against him. They were finally beginning to realize, don't jack with God's kids. Don't mess with God's people. God is in control. God is providential. God is sovereign. You've picked the wrong person, Haman, to go, to go after. It will be fatal to continue opposing him. And while they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly took Haman to the banquet that Esther had prepared. Now, you don't want to miss next week because, it, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's how we get you. It's our hook. This is like a soap opera. You don't want to miss next week because Haman now has to go to this banquet that he was so excited about. It's not going to go as he thought it was going to go. As Esther finally reveals that she's Jewish and Haman is the one that came up with this plan. You don't want to miss it. But as we wrap this up today, let me give you some thoughts. Proverbs 11.8 says this, and, this, and I, I believe that this verse is on display in the story of Esther. Let's, let's read it together, church. Let's read it. What does it say? The godly are rescued from trouble, and it falls on the wicked instead. Isn't that a great verse? The godly, which would be Mordecai and Esther in this story, are rescued from trouble, God is turning everything around, and it falls on the wicked instead. Who's the wicked one in this story? Haman. And it's going to really fall on him in the next couple of weeks. You don't want to miss it. But let me just say this is application for all of us. What a difference a comma makes in a scripture. What a difference a comma makes. The godly are rescued from trouble, 
comma, and it falls on the wicked instead. We need to make sure, church, that we're living our lives on the right side of that comma. Have you ever thought about that? Which side of the comma are you living on? The godly side or the wicked side? You want to be on the right side of that comma. We're kicking off our small groups this week. And we want you to be in a small group. We believe in community. We believe in relationship. We believe relationships happen in circles, not in rows. And you need to sign up. You need to be in. And we're going to unpack this. We're going to be giving you questions to unpack and talk about how God is using this teaching in your life to, to, to share it with other people and to be an encouragement. And, and you're going to talk about, you know, what does it mean to live on the right side of the comma this week? You're going to get to talk about that. But you don't want to miss next week. When we see how this is going to play out, you're going to see this verse play out in the next couple of weeks. But as we wrap this up, in chapter 6 of Esther, everything has been turned around by the providential, sovereign hand of God. And some of you need to hear this. Some of you need to be encouraged. Some of you can find faith and hope in this because God can turn anything around. God did it 25 years, 100 years ago, and he can do it today. And he can do it for you. And he can do it in your life. Do you believe that, church? Listen, we've seen in the last 12 years here at Orchard Church, since we started, hundreds and thousands of lives turned around. We've seen marriages turned around. We've seen relationships with kids turned around. We've seen dire financial situations turned around. We've seen hurts, habits, and hang-ups turned around by the power of God. And sometimes when it appears that things are falling apart, they may be falling into place. God can turn any situation around. And when he turns them around through his providential and sovereign and supernatural hand, it causes us to look back at everything that God has orchestrated, just like the book Esther, and go, only God could have done that. And some of you can relate to that. You need that kind of moment in your life. You need a moment in your life where God is so in control of everything and orchestrating that you don't understand all of it, but you trust God even when you cannot trace God. And you look back and you go, only God could have turned that around. Only God could have changed my situation. Only God... And his providence and sovereignty could have made that take place. But here's the challenge. And here's the problem that I want to I share this thought with you. You have it in your notes. Here's the problem. You and I, we get too concerned with the how instead of the what. This is what I think short-circuit God working sometimes in our lives. We get too concerned with the how instead of the what. What do I mean by that? We get too wrapped up in, how are you, God, going to change this situation? How are you going to fix this? How are you going to turn this around? And we go, how, 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 God? And God doesn't want us focusing on the how. He wants us focusing on the what. What is God asking us to do? What is God telling me to do? What is God telling you to do? And go back and do the last thing you know God told you to do. Don't get focused on the how. Focus on what. You see, you and I are not responsible for the how. God is. We're responsible for the what. Amen? We're responsible for what God is telling us to do, what God is calling us to do. Esther and Mordecai in this story did not know how God was going to turn this situation around supernaturally, providentially, and sovereignly. But they knew what God had called them to do, and they took an all-in step of faith, and they did it, and they left the, left the rest in God's hands. Let me ask you, what do you know God wants you to do? And will you leave the, God, the how in God's hands? What do you know God wants you to do? Focus on the what and leave the how in God's hands. You're going to get a chance to talk about that in your small group this week. What is it you know God's asking you to do 
and allow God to take care of the how. Put another way. We've talked about this before. Let me give it to you this way, another way in your notes. Obedience is our responsibility. Outcome is God's responsibility. Amen, church? We get so focused and wrapped up on the outcome and the how and how's God going to do this. We need to get focused on the obedience. And what has God told us to do? Most of the time, we know what we're supposed to do. We know what God wants us to do. We just often don't do it. We don't take that step of faith. And then we wonder why God's not working. And maybe God knows how he's going to do something about it once we take a step of faith in what he's called us to do. <laughs> Excuse me. And I want to share how this is played out a little bit in my life. And some of you have heard this story, but I want to tell it a little bit different this morning. I entered full-time vocational ministry in 1990, 27 years ago. And when I first went into ministry, I, I believed and felt like one day God might call me to, to start a church. I, I knew that was what God was saying, but I had no idea how we would do that, how it would play out. I had no idea, but I knew what God had called me to do. And I stepped into ministry and I did student ministry for about 10 years. Then I was an assistant pastor to church. And then I became a pastor of a small church that was about 50 years old. The church was, I, I became pastor the day after my 30th birthday. It was in Kokomo, Indiana. Kokomo sounds tropical. I promise you it's not. If you've ever been to Indiana. And I, and I started pastoring that church, and I pastored that church for about six years. And Shelly and I, we really thought, this, this is where we're going to be the rest of our life. And I kind of forgot about planting a church. And I said, you know, we're, we're just we're comfortable there. And then, you know, I won't go into all the details, but through a circumstance of events, God brought us to a place where our world was falling apart. That church was falling apart. The church was about to divide. Part of the church wanted to stay conservative and kind of legalistic. And part of the church, we wanted to be... Um, more proactive in helping people find and follow Jesus. And we, our mission hadn't changed, but our methods had to change. Some of you know what I'm talking about. And we said, you know what? We're not going to be a part of a church split. So we took a step of faith. We stepped away. We stepped out of ministry. We didn't even know what, what God was going to do next. I had no job. I didn't put out any resumes. I, was, I had a young family. I didn't know how I was going to pay the bills. I just knew what God had told me to do. And I didn't know how God was going to work it all out. And I'm telling you, if, if we look back in, in our life and our marriage to a time where we were the lowest and it was the darkest and most challenging and it felt like life was falling apart, it was that time. But it just so happened that during that time, there was a man in our church that was starting a business. And he said, you know, I'm starting this business and I know you're needing work. And he said, I, I can give you about eight weeks worth of work to kind of help me market this company. You're good at talking to people. Would you, would you be willing to do that? And I'll, I'll replace your salary, exactly what the church was paying you. I will pay you. Well, I said, of course, I have no, nothing else to do. And so I did that. And as we were getting close to the end of the eight weeks and that time was going to be up and he didn't have anything else for me to do and I didn't know what we were going to do. It just so happened as we were about to get to the eighth week, I got a phone call from a man named Rick Barnett that was living here in Colorado. And it just so happened that Rick Barnett was the youth director of my wife and her two sisters. Hadn't talked to him in years and they reconnected with one of her sisters on Facebook. And it just so happened that she shared with him that Doug and Shelly have kind of stepped away from ministry right now. They're, trying, they're waiting and praying on what God might have for them next. And he said, well, we're looking for somebody. Can I call them? And so it just so happened that he called me up and he, he said, hey, we're looking for somebody to do student ministry and discipleship. And those are two things that are near and dear to my heart. And it just so happened it was from Colorado. And Shelly and I had not told many people about this, but we'd always said, if God called us to plant a church someday, Colorado would be number one on our list. 
just so happened. And so it just so happened, but I said, you know, if we were to come to Colorado, I believe it would be to plant a church. And I, I don't know that I'm really ready to go back into student ministry. I thought, you know, I'd outgrown that. And I was ready to move on to something else. And it just so happened that the pastor at that time, his name was Waddell Maple, was in his 70s. He said, I'm probably only going to pastor this church about two more years, and I'm going to retire. So give us two good years, and then we'll send you out to plant a church. And so it just so happened that we moved to Pueblo, Colorado. We were there for two years. At the end of that two years, we felt God was calling us to the Denver metro area to plant a church. But we didn't know exactly where. So I started calling some pastors. It just so happened that I called a pastor in this community, in this area. And he said, man, we need more churches. And I, I said, well, I don't know where we're going to live or anything like that. But we, we believe God's calling us. And it, well, it just so happened that he said, you know, have you ever heard of this ministry called Apartment Life? And I said, no. And he goes, well, basically, they bring in Christian couples, they put them in the apartment complex to build relationships with the people there so they can lead them to Christ. And I'm like, okay, let's see. If we were going to start a church, we would build relationships with people and lead them to Christ. I'm like, that's perfect. And he said, but I don't know if there's any, any apartments open in our area. He goes, but it just so happens that I know the guy who's in an apartment complex in our community. His name is Dan Fring. Call him up. I called Dan Fring on the phone and I said, yeah, we're looking to move to that community. And he goes, well, it just so happens my wife and I got a promotion. We're going to now be over the district. So we need someone to replace us in our apartment complex in this community. And you guys will be perfect. So we moved into that apartment. And we started meeting people in our apartment complex. We led people to Christ. We started a Bible study in our living room. Orchard Church started with four people, my wife and I and two kids. And we started meeting people and we started building relationships and helping people find and follow Jesus. And we invited them to a Bible study in our apartment complex. And within just a few weeks, it just so happened that we outgrew our apartment and we didn't know where we were gonna meet. Well, it just so happened that there was a clubhouse at the apartment complex. I went to the manager and I said, hey, could we rent out your clubhouse it would seat about 50 60 people and she goes well when do you need it i said sunday morning she goes well usually we rent it fridays and saturdays for parties why do you need it for sunday mornings i said well we're trying to start a church and we have a group of people together we've outgrown our apartment she goes oh it's a church she goes you can meet and i won't charge you a dime and orchard church met for eight months in that clubhouse and didn't pay a dime and it always oh, it gets better and it just so happened that when we outgrew the clubhouse, there was a rec center across the street that would hold about 200 people. I had asked the manager three times if we could move over there when we outgrew, and they said, no, we're not open on Sundays. You can't meet here. The fourth time, now we had to have a place. God told me go back to that, the, the rec center, and I said, God, you ever tried to argue with God? I said, God, don't you know they told me three times? No, they're going to kick me out. He said, go. Okay. I sheepishly, owe me of little faith, went over there, and it just so happened that there was a new manager who was a Christian lady, and she said, I'd love to have a church meeting here on Sunday morning, and we met there for six months. And then, as we were about to outgrow that place, it just so happened that 27J Brighton School District was building a brand new 5A high school with a 600-seat auditorium that was going to open in the fall of 2006. And it just so happened that they said, well, you're not the only church that wants to meet there. There were six churches on the list. And so they decided the fairest thing to do would be to draw, to hold a lottery. And it just so happened that Orchard Church's name was in that hat. And when the superintendent picked out the name, Orchard Church was the name 10 and a half years ago that was chosen. And it just so happened we've been able to meet here 
and go from one service to two services to three services to help more and more people find and follow Jesus for 10 and a half years. And it just so happened that when we moved in 10 and a half years ago, there was 38 acres of land sitting right next door. And it was sitting there for 10 and a half years. And it just so happened that a couple of years ago, the owner of that land came to us and we made a deal and we bought that land. And it just so happened that in about eight weeks from now, we're going to move into our brand new permanent home. Amen. And it just so happened that we're going to be able to do that in a time where this is not only one of the fastest growing communities in Denver and Colorado, it's one of the fastest growing communities in the nation. Four to 500 families are moving into this community every month. We could not be more positioned for such a time as this to help people find and follow Jesus. And I believe that we're gonna look back 10 years from now once we move in and we're gonna have many more and it just so happened moments because we have a providential and sovereign God who's always at work. And sometimes when I look back, when we moved to Colorado some 12 years ago, a time when it seemed like everything was falling apart, it was actually falling into place. And not only is that true of my life, but it's true for many of you guys. We just have to focus on the what God wants us to do and leave the how in God's hands because we have a God who can turn anything around. Because here at Orchard Church, we believe our God is good and he's never going to let us down. Never. Father, thank you for your word this morning. May we apply it to our lives. May we be doers of your word and not just hearers only. As we continue in attitude of prayer right now with heads bowed and eyes closed, let me ask some of you, how many of you can relate to this message this morning? You say, there's something in my life, there's a situation right now where I need God to turn something around. I want to make sure I focus on the what God has asked me to do and leave the how in his hands. Can I pray for you? Anyone like that? Would you slip up your hand all across this auditorium? God, amen. God bless you. Hands everywhere. Father, I pray that this message would encourage, that it would strengthen, that it would be, bring life and hope and do some probably desperate situations in marriages and finances and health and jobs and homes and kids and relationships and that we'd be reminded today that all things work together for those who love God, who love you, who are the called according to your purpose, that you're good and you're never going to let us down. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And sometimes when it appears that things are falling apart, they may be falling right into place. We believe that. May we embrace that today. May we find hope and encouragement from that day. May we focus on the what you've called us to do and leave the how up to you. That obedience would be our responsibility and outcome would be yours. So continue in an attitude of prayer right now. Some of you, whether you realize it or not, you're here today at this time, at this place, for just such a time as this. It just so happened that you're here today to hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You're not here by accident. You're not here by coincidence. You're here by providence. God has brought you here to this time and this place to say yes to Jesus, to say yes, to invite him into your life as Lord and Savior. If you've never done that, that's where it all starts. You have a God that will never leave you or forsake you when you know him and he knows you. And 2,000 years ago, 
There was a man named Jesus Christ who came to this earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He was then arrested and falsely accused and brutally beaten and tortured and crucified and hung on a cross. And his followers, his disciples, at that moment when Jesus was dying and brutally being tortured on the cross, they thought that everything was falling apart. But three days later, Jesus rose from the dead and they realized everything was falling into place. And that Jesus did that to provide our salvation, our forgiveness, our hope, our eternity. And if you've never said yes to Jesus, why not today? Why not today? Maybe it just so happened that you're here today so you can say yes to him. And if that's you today, I want to lead you in a prayer of faith. It's not a magic prayer or magic words, but if you pray this with me from your heart to God's and you believe it, you can say yes to Jesus today. Would you, some of you, know, you know who you are. Would you pray this with me? It goes like this. Jesus, I need you. I want you in my life. Come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you, Jesus, for loving me dying for me. Thank you. So we continue an attitude of prayer with heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody looking around for a moment. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I never want to do that. But if you just prayed that prayer of faith, it's the most important decision you could ever make. And I'd love the privilege and honor to pray for you right now. Just pray that you would grow in your walk and relationship with Jesus from this day forward. So without hesitation, nobody looking around but myself. Would you just slip up your hand right now if you prayed that prayer with me? Just lift up your hand. God bless you, sir. God bless you, young man. God bless you, sir. Anyone else? God bless you over here. God bless you up here. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. It's okay, church, to get excited about that. Amen. Several hands. Let me pray for you. Father, we just thank you for all those putting their faith and trust in you today. We welcome them into the family of God as our brothers and sisters in Christ. We thank you that we have a God who is good all the time you are good. And we thank you that you never let us down. Thank you for those saying yes to you today. May they grow in their walk and relationship with you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's celebrate decisions for Christ this morning. Amen. It's incredible. We know in the Bible it tells us that every time someone says yes, there is a party in heaven right now. There are angels doing backflips, and so we are excited to celebrate with you and join in that celebration. If you did just pray that prayer, I'm going to ask you to take one small step, a little bit braver than raising your hand, and that is simply filling out this card that you got when you came in. It was in your newsletter. Fill out some basic information about yourself. And on the back, you say, today I made a decision to say yes to follow Jesus. We just want to help you take your next step follow up with you and, and be a part of this process with you. Also, in just a moment when the ushers come forward, if this is your first time, hopefully you filled this out already. You can drop that off in the bucket when the rest of us are giving. We don't expect anything from you other than this card in this moment. We don't want your money. We're not interested in your money. We're interested in getting to know you. So take some time, fill this out, drop it in the bucket, and the rest of us, we're going to stand, we're going to sing, we're going to worship God in our giving because we give first, save second, and live on the rest. God gave his best. We want to give our best back. So why don't we all stand up together? And after the service, if this is your first time, please stop by the blue tent. we got a gift for you. Pastor Doug would be there. He'd love to meet you as well. Thank you guys so much. Let's sing and worship. <laughs>